You're listening to the most authentic place in sports. It's the Sports Headline Show. Here are your hosts, Sean Davis and Warner Sanker. Welcome, welcome back into the Sports Headline Show. We are in studio. Myself, Warner Sanker, here with Sean Davis, ready to bring you the 31st team, 31st best, let's start on a positive note, team in the NFL uh, for the 2021 season uh, on paper through our power rankings. Sean, you want to introduce that team? Yeah, so this team is the Detroit Lions, and this is a significantly, there's a significant jump between the Lions and the Texans. So while it'll be a lot more positive things to talk about in this episode, they're still 31st, so there's a lot of negative things to talk about. There's a reason why they're 31st, so we'll get into that. Um, this would be an episode without me drinking a Starbucks refresher. I might as well sponsor them at this point, so yeah. Um, so the, the Lions, as, as you all probably know, uh, had a big blockbuster trade. They fired their general manager and their head coach. Now they have a new crew in along with the new quarterback. So they really just redid their whole whole organization. Matthew Stafford got shipped over to the Los Angeles Rams, uh, the better team in L.A., for Jared Goff at P- and Picks um, to go to the Rams and really make the Rams instantaneous Super Bowl contenders. Uh, they were kind of on the verge before with Jared Goff and and, you know, they went to the Super Bowl, but then they lost to the Patriots. They hadn't been back. They lost Todd Gurley. We didn't really know how they'd react. Sean McVay has reacted well. They got Cam Akers, who's a really, really nice running back. Absolutely. But this is an episode on the Lions, not the Rams. So um, what, what are, what are say, the three biggest positives you take from the Lions this season uh, going in before we break down the roster? Well, even though their coaching isn't going to rake as high, the, the culture that they are building here. And I just want to say something because a lot of people were talking about how the, the Lions could potentially get a quarterback with a seventh overall pick. It would have made absolutely zero sense to get a quarterback for the for this reasoning here. They're trying to build a culture. And when you draft that rookie quarterback, the clock starts. Yep. So you want to establish that culture, that kneecap biting culture, right? And get some ground running there. And that's what Brad Holmes, that's what uh Dan Campbell is trying to establish here. And this is leading into my second point here. How do you establish culture? You have a monster offensive line led by Taylor Decker, um, Frank Ragnall, and then you go draft Pene Sewell with the seventh overall pick. And, I mean, your three most important spots on the offensive line are now solidified, especially Pene Sewell can successfully make that switch from left tackle to right tackle, right? You have a dominant offensive line. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. And then number three, right, you know, the, the kneecaps. Again, it's kind of built to the culture, at least to the run defense. They actually had a really solid draft, in my opinion. Gabe Penesul, we'll talk about him. Osai Digizuwa, who I love, we'll talk about him later as well, right? And some of the other draft pieces they they did as well. So just it's a, it's a whole culture reset. And if I'm being honest with you, I wouldn't even be surprised if they quarterback this year either. I think you could potentially see, as long as Jared Goff is a god awful, I think you could. I think it might be another year before we see the Lions take a quarterback. But we'll talk about that more. What, what about you? Yeah. So um, you know, you mentioned the the culture, and I think the Lions are starting to build this the right way. Um, they they got a rah rah head coach, a culture guy who's going to teach. Uh, teach the, the guys the fundamentals or reteach them if, they, if they're lacking, which most bad teams are lacking at least a little bit fundamentally. Um, you bring in Dan Campbell. He's a raw, raw coach. He's going to reset the culture. 
right there. You've got Brad Holmes, who seems to be a really smart, intuitive GM who knows what he's doing in the rebuild process. Uh, and, and then you start building it the right way, as Sean mentioned, with the offensive line. You've got the, the three most important positions on the offensive line are blindside tackle. That's usually the left tackle um, for right-handed quarterback, which Jared Goff is. Your center, because he's the, he's the centerpiece of the offensive line. He gets all the communication down and everything. This is why I was so disappointed the Packers lost Corey Lindsley uh, when I was a Packers fan still. Uh, and then, of course, right tackle, because in this pass-heavy pass league with dominant edge rushers coming, off, uh, coming around for your quarterback, you've got to have good tackle play. You can fill in the guards as long as you're not getting Michael Jordan or whatever um, for the Bengals. Just you got to make them promise that they're not going to throw their, uh, the defensive tackle into your quarterback's knee. Uh, once again, I am sorry, Joe Burrow. And really quickly, I made a mistake. Oza, I'm mental error. Oza Digizua is the UCLA defensive tackle, the guy I'm referring to, who still has all the same traits I was referring to. Levy Ansurike from Washington. That's the guy I was thinking of the name, just wasn't there. Go ahead, Warren. My bad about yeah, that. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what um, – and, and, and as Sean mentioned with the quarterback, great. I'm, I'm glad they didn't draft a quarterback this year because, it, I mean, that's a fresh face in the league. And unless you're getting a Trevor Lawrence, uh, these quarterbacks, and even, even Trevor Lawrence, they're not going to be able to come in and, like, set the tone right away. You've got to have a tone uh, pretty set for them. There's a few exceptions, but – most of the time, especially if you're picking in the seven to 15 range, seven, honestly, pick number seven on down, which the Lions were, you're not going to get that really, really good, almost like 10 year vet experienced college quarterback. So, uh, in that way, you roll with Jared Goff. He's in his fifth year um, as a quarterback. He has a massive contract, yes, but you're not looking to save cap space to compete. You're looking to have decent players to build up a culture and Jared Goff, he's not a real rah-rah guy either. He was picked number one overall, and he worked well with the Rams, but it seems to be he's more mellow mellow guy. He's, he's just going to come in. He's not going to be the first one in, last one out guy, like a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, an all-time great. But he was picked number one overall. He has tremendous arm talent, and I want to see if Dan Campbell can really turn his career around and maybe even make Jared Goff into the franchise quarterback for the Lions. If he can get that mentality straight, I think there is a possibility. If Dan Campbell gets Jared Goff to be the franchise quarterback, that's a major, major, major steal for the Lions. Because if you have a franchise quarterback on your roster and you're a bad team, now you get to spend that top five pick or whatever on the rest of your team. I mean, they might not need offensive line, especially if they swole pans out. But now you can maybe reach just a little bit and get you that playmaking wide receiver. Or even trade back for more picks. Or even trade back for more picks. And then you could just, yeah. So, and we talked about this kind of with the Texans or whatever. If Davis Mills shows the potential, at least enough potential to where you don't draft a quarterback next year, right? You can spend that top three pick that the Texans are going to have on an offensive lineman or on a wide receiver or on one of these other positions. So a dominant edge rusher like dominant. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Jared yeah. Goff has um, twenty twenty one season and then three more seasons left on his contract. It's going to go from five and a half million dollars now to ten, and then up to twenty and twenty one um, at the back end of that deal. So if he is their franchise quarterback and they determine that he will be. They've got a good two to three years of him on a very, very team-friendly yeah, team franchise yeah. quarterback yeah. deal at $20, 21000000 million. Now, that's a lot for a bad quarterback, yes. But 
if he's a bad quarterback, then they're just going to be a bad team, and they're not even going to be in the need to save cap space, as we mentioned. And also, with the Penny Sewell situation, if you are a really, really bad team and there's a team out there looking for a left tackle, you can always trade away and, and move Penny Sewell to left tackle and then find another offensive lineman or, or, or however you want to go through the process in the early rounds of the next year's draft. We Offensive linemen, we've seen – are replaceable. Now, I don't, I'm not saying you want to replace uh, Decker, but you do want to weigh your options. If you can get a good bounty for a blindside left tackle, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be really important for the future of your rebuild. Yeah. So let's get started here. So we talked a lot about the upside potential with Jared Goff, but they do rank in number 24 for quarterback with Jared Goff at the helm. They have Tim Boyle, David Blau, who, I mean, David Blau, Hey, he's a playmaker. He's a playmaker. David Blau, nothing really much to talk about there with him. He showed he, – he's kind of more of his parts at Purdue. He played with Ronda more, like, very good. Like, Ronda more for all the injuries started to stack up. Um, so, you know, he, he was more of a, his parts more so than himself. Tim Boyle, just a career backup. And then you have Jared Goff, who comes in. His quarterback room is old, coming number 24th in the league. So we talked about some of Jerry Goff's upside with the arm talent and stuff like that, but they, they come in 24. Well, what's the problem with Jerry Goff? Well, you know, it seemed um, in his first year, I believe, uh, not Eric Fisher, but Jeff Fisher, uh, Jeff Fisher was, their, was their head coach, thank you, uh, before Sean McVay took over. And um, Fisher really did not help Goff with the mental side of things and going through his reads, making good throws and, and scheming up plays for him. And that's what Sean McVay did and does very, very, very well, which is why the Rams are so successful. Um, now, Dan Campbell is not an offensive genius. He's more of a rah-rah head coach. But if Jared Goff can use what he learned from Sean McVay and the rah-rahness of Dan Campbell seeps into his heart and soul, then he can start leading his other teammates, his offensive counterparts, Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift, uh, at running back Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perriman, a lot of uh, veterans with – with high upside that haven't really panned out, um, specifically in the receiver room, TJ Hawkinson, one of the better tight ends in the league already. If he can lead his guys to uh, really establishing that offense and having a, a uh, an efficient, non-turnover producing offense going through, with, with a defense that can stop the run and upside a corner, you can really see this Lions team turn around in a heck of a lot of, uh, and really short of a lot of uh, time, short amount of time, um, which really relies on Jared Goff. Yeah. Um, Jared Goff, I think the biggest problem, which is why what kind of alienated uh, Sean McVay in Los Angeles was, you know, Jared Goff, you're pretty, you're going to have to draw it up for him. And he's not outside of the play that's drawn up. If it's broken down or whatever, or the play doesn't necessarily work, you're kind of out of luck. And that was kind of that problem that alienated Sean McVay in L.A. was when the play broke down, he couldn't really necessarily create for himself and his teammates, right? But with Matthew Stafford, right, who is one of the best in the league when it comes to, you know, the play breaking down and getting and finding the open man. And that's why in that Seattle game, right, it was John Wolford, until uh, Jared Goff came in and played pretty all right, after actually. Wolford got hurt, right? After Wolford got hurt, right? But John Wolford was doing those things. He's not nearly as good as, as Jared Goff. 
But McVeigh was kind of sick of it in terms of, man. He's like, listen, man, if I can draw up the plays and he can find open guys, he'll be able to make most of the throws. And then I can I can rely on him to create outside and run around and scramble, which is which is how he got hurt, got concussed by uh, Jadavion Clowney, I believe. But, um, yeah, Goff came back in and did fine. And if with Goff, it's not the arm talent. He can make pretty much every throw on the field. It's the mobility, the pocket presence, and the mental side of game, uh, the mental side of things, going through your prog- progressions, really working on your craft. And, um, you know, with the number one overall pick, you can get complacent. You can say, listen, I'm the best of the best. That's what this team determined me to be. And I'm just going to play how I kept playing in college when that may not necessarily be true. Yeah, so they're going to rank in here number 24 in the league. I wouldn't be as surprised if they like, – like, who, who's above them? Let's see here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if they kind of outrank this and, like, get into – solidified into the top 20. Um, but as of right now, they're number 24 for a lot of the reasons we just talked about. Yeah, and then um, on to the running back room, of course, DeAndre Swift, uh, one of the <laughs> – one of the – the premier running backs out of last year's draft class, actually, Adrian Peterson, um, I think said in the press release or whatever, um, <laughs> something about, oh, he's not so swift to me. Um, when, when looking at his yards per carry, which I, which is hilarious, but 5'8", he's still 212 pounds. He can pack a punch. He's good in the receiving game, good in the uh, running game. And, and then you have Jamal Williams, who's a really, really nice backup there for him. So, um, I think you're going to see good production, especially behind this off- this offensive line um, from Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Look for DeAndre Swift to be close to a thousand yards rushing and probably seven to eight hundred yards receiving as well. Yeah, he he just wasn't really as more of, of a focal point of the offense last year, probably until like the latter parts of the season, right? But he is a stud running back. Him and probably um, Jonathan Taylor are the two best running backs out of the class last year. And that's saying something, because I still do like J.K. Dobbins. I still like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? But those two just kind of separated themselves, right? And like you said, you do have Jamal Williams. They also have a clean boy, Dedrick Mills, and Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State that they drafted this year, Who's like, who I like, who's solid, more of a scat back in my opinion. But um, I, like their, I like their running back room. Their running back room is going to come in at – um, even this ranking, we do like them a lot, but they're actually only going to come in at 25th, and that's because of the how just really deep the running backs are in this league, right? Like, you look at teams, for example, I mean, <laughs> this league is just really loaded with running backs. Um, but, yeah, this is definitely a position where – I think they will most definitely uh, outrank where they are currently. But 25th, they might even stretch up to become a top five running back room with Anthony Lynn as the offensive coordinator, right? So they'll get in behind this loaded offensive line, which we're going to get here to shortly, right? So they're definitely going to outrank this. If they don't, I'd be really surprised if they didn't. So they're going to come in 25th here. Now to listen, hold on one more point to that. There's a reason why the running backs get such a low percentage of the offense, and that's because there's so many good running backs. And this is why there's the whole, you know, never pay a running back, never draft a running back in the first round, because there's so many guys that you can pick in the late rounds that you can scheme open, that you can scheme up plays for. And if you have good line play, you're going to get pretty good running back play. James Conner was almost a 1,000-yard rusher when Pittsburgh had a nice offensive line. So that just goes to show you that, yeah, they might be in the 20s, 
but the production can still be very, very high. It, it just may not be as high as, I don't know, say Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Christian McCaffrey, and whoever the hell. Pick it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, Christian um, McCaffrey stays healthy. They're normal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it just goes to show you, this is why the running backs get such a little piece of the pie in the offense. All right, and let's move on to this, why, this receiving group, which is easily the worst in the NFL, uh, led by – behind the Texans. I mean, Texans are bad, but – Yeah, this is the worst receiving group in the league, led by Terrell Williams, Rashad Perryman, Tom Kennedy, Dramal Allison. Warner has nightmares about him. Uh, that guy <laughs> – they drafted Sage Sherratt. I mean, yeah, um, they did get Sage Sherratt. They did draft Amon Ross, Sage Brown. Uh, I'll, I'll touch up on this. And here, here's just some notes right quick. I'm not too excited about Sage Sherratt, to be honest. Amon right. Ross, Sage Brown, it seems he, he can be. Yeah, he can be solid. Good, but, but uh, you know, with Sage Sherratt, you know, I'm not Sage Sherratt. Uh, Amon Ross, Sage Brown. Only problem, and I think Sage, Sage had to be in a undrafted. Uh, yeah, yeah. I believe so. So, you know, only pro- pro- bigger problems with, you know, Amon Ross, Sage Brown. He's not that he's really not good in, in run blocking. Um, you know, he doesn't really create separation because of the lack of foot speed, if we're being completely honest with you. Um, he struggles because of that foot speed to beat press sometimes, right? But he is a solid route runner, smooth out plays with a lot of body control, really smooth athlete. But And he uses his body in different ways to get open and use for release techniques as well. Right, so Amon Ra in the fourth round was kind of good value, actually. So, you know, th- th- there's some room for growth there and potential. Look for him to potentially be the third best receiver. Yeah. Uh, maybe even up there because, listen, Tyrell Williams is a solid. I really like talented him receiver. He's six foot four. He's a 200 pounds, 29 years old. Uh, really solid receiver. He just never really panned out. Um, yeah. Rashad Perryman was a really highly thought of receiver. He was a first round pick out of Central Florida. Uh, I believe by Washington, but you know, six foot two, two twelve, another big body guy, but he just couldn't quite figure it out, um, and and put things together for Washington. Now he finds himself on Detroit, where they're retooling. Uh, so look for. He was drafted by Baltimore, but yeah, same, yeah, yeah. But um, look for look for Amon Ross St. Brown to really establish himself as one of Jared Goff's primary weapons, along with Swift and I believe T.J. Hawkinson. Yeah, and I like Tyrell Williams because he was a charger a few years ago. But, I mean, the problem with that was he was at best the third option in the offense because you have Mike Williams. He was like a little bit worse worse version of Mike Williams, being completely honest. Yeah, I mean, he was there, um, but he was was at best the number three option on the offense. And then you go to um, the Raiders, which is a significant drop-off with all due respect. He's a deep ball receiver, and you have Derek Carr, so, you know. Yeah. It's not going to be the greatest. Right. So, I mean, like, obviously, like, his best years were as a part of the Chargers, right? I mean, and, like, he had a 1,000-yard receiving uh, res- yard season with the Chargers. And then – You know what? It was because they moved out of San Diego. That's why he hasn't been able to put it together. I mean, maybe he just moved to San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, he's joking, obviously. But, I mean, then his one year in uh, Oakland or either in Oakland at the time, he only has 650 yards or whatever because, again, they he's a vertical, deep threat wide receiver. But when you only, have – He only played in 14 games as well. So, when you have Derek Carr as your quarterback, you're not going to get as many deep uh, deep ball attempts. And then uh, he didn't play last year due to an injury. Oh, no. So, 
Can't wait to see this list. Oh, I saw that. He's uh, Herbert was in the top ten. He was fine. But yeah, it, it was it was it was it wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad actually. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Tyler just hasn't been really able to find his groove anywhere really outside of the Chargers. But again, at best, he was a third option. I think the year he had a thousand yards receiving. I think Keenan might have been hurt that year, or or maybe this was before Mike. Let me see right quick. Keenan Allen um, was drafted in 2013. He played in 2016. He was played in one game. So. Yeah, so yeah, th- this was the year. No Keenan, no Mike Williams. This was Tyrell Williams' team, literally. Right, and, and he performed well, right? But I mean, the next year, yeah, Keenan was on IRR year. Um, but then I mean, Keenan came back, back two catches, fourteen hundred yards. <laughs> yeah. Mike Williams, I think that was his rookie year, right? So when that happens, obviously the production drops down, but he's shown some flashes of potential, or whatever. You know, that was that was his shot to really solidify himself as at least the number two guy behind Keenan Allen. But uh, they go out, they grab Mike Williams out of Clemson um, in 2017 was his rookie year. So he didn't even play that much his rookie year. Yep, it was yeah. all Keenan Allen. Yeah, it was, it was all Keenan. So you have Tyrell Williams. You have some. I mean, we just talked about Amon Rossi Brown. And you still have um, TJ Hawkinson, who's who's developed into a really solid tight end. Yeah. But there's the lack of a number one receiver. TJ Hawkinson, quite frankly, not being – George Kittle, right? Really, you know, just hurt. He's, he's a really nice receiver, but right. He's a really, but like, he's not the reason he was picked eight overall. Right, right. There's a reason why Kyle Pitts was picked so high too. Yeah, so they're gonna come in number thirty-two here. No, like, there's literally like no even like. I mean, your best wide receiver is a lower end number two wide receiver for most teams in Tyrell Williams, and you're you're really banking on St. Brown developing. And T.J. Hawkinson not being uh, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. I'm joking. He's a really damn good tight end. But uh, they're going to come in dead last here at 32. You want to say something before we move on? No, uh, moving on to tight ends, though. T.J. Hawkinson, of course, he's a stud already. Uh, and then Darren Fells behind him. So they don't have a bad tight end group. Um, but it's not really – I don't think it's something that they can rely on as a strength if um, – if, Jared Goff and, and, and their receivers are are how they are. Yeah. You know, um, tight ends can be really successful, but you look at the best tight ends. Travis Kelsey, I'm not saying he's made by Patrick Holmes and Tyree Gill, but that certainly helps. Um, George even, Kittle is with that scheme, and he has Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and, and that crew. Um, I mean, who else? I mean, I mean, even Gronk back in his prime with uh, with the Patriots, the Patriots still had Jules. Um, to to really get him the football. Now he was probably the number one target. And I think TJ Hawkinson will be the number one target. Um, but I mean, insane. Oh my God. Gronk in his prime was was just, all right. So let's move on to the offensive line here. The offensive lines spoil, uh, surprisingly, actually, they're going to come in number seven in offensive line, uh, with all thanks to Frank Gragno, one of the best centers in the league. You have Taylor Decker, your left tackle, who they just re-signed, I believe. So. I believe. Um, you had Taylor Decker. You have some solid depth with Tyrell Crosby. And then you also have Panay Sewell, who we just talked about. And their guards aren't even – I mean, their guards aren't – Their guards aren't, the guards aren't Jackson, terrible. Jordan Jackson is not great, but, I mean, 
he's a replacement level starter. Um, Logan Stern Stenberg. Right. I mean, they have like, and I mean, I guess really, you would rather like you would absolutely rather have like really good guards. But if you have a replacement level guard and you have a stud left tackle, a stud center, and a right tackle who has all, all the potential, right, yeah. all the potential of the world. You are you are loving your offensive line, right? Jonah Jackson is the replacement level guard. Logan Sternberg, who probably will be their other right guard, right? I mean, you are you're you're not like you're not happy or whatever with that, but you're not going to you're not going to bed at night worried that you're going to murder your quarterback either. Yeah. So, um, and 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 the only reason why we are kind of being hesitant on Penny Sewell is because you never know how much of an impact a first-year tackle is going to make in the league. We saw one probably the best, if not top three, um, tackles in the league, uh, in the draft, sorry, last year, Andrew Thomas, who didn't really have that great of a year for uh, for the Giants. But you saw other guys um, in, in Tampa. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm, I'm a bad <laughs> – that uh, Tristan works. That's that's who it is. Yeah. Or uh, Jedrick Wills for the Browns having phenomenal years. So you don't know the impact they're going to have. Or or I you think could get an Andrew say, Thomas and yeah. have an awful rookie year. I wouldn't say it was awful. I would say it's not great. <laughs> but um, and then you have Hala. I'm not going to say the rest of that. You have Hala Vaiti, <laughs> uh, Bellatai, or whatever. I'm so sorry. I suck with names. Everybody who watches this knows that. But he's actually better. Than Logan Sternberg, right? So they have a really, really nice depth. He's a big guy too, six six as a guard. That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of man to look over. But Jared Goff, Jared Goff has him right on. Right, so you know he's he's standing. Look, Jared Goff is sitting standing behind a great offensive line. You have a top ten, arguably left tackle, a top good offensive line. A, yeah, a, a good, good offensive offense. line, a top ten, probably top ten left tackle, a top five center. Some replacement level guards, but you're fine with that. You're not like going to bed having nightmares about it. And then a right tackle, who we just talked about, has all the potential in the world. But again, you're hoping it's more of a Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Willis kind of a season. Where he just burst onto the scene. Or even a Mekhi Beckton kind of season, who kind of flew under the radar because of how bad the Jets were. The, yeah, right. the Jets are bad. Or over a um isaiah wilson that was the name yeah isaiah wilson Wilson well i I think he's the low of all lows right he's the low of all lows or a uh andrew thomas who showed flashes but was still overall pretty bad last year so this is a great offensive line a really good offensive line um and they're going to come in here number seven so for their grade for the deep for the uh offensive coordinator and offensive coaching anthony lynn 27th the definition of a man offensive play caller. Uh, it would be it would be like for the Chargers last year. Herbert look, look for the run game to be pretty good. Yeah, you know, like pass game is gonna be alright. <laughs> Herbert will like throw a twenty five yard dart on two straight passing plays instead of keeping your foot on the pedal. You're gonna run halfback dive straight up the middle on a terrible offense with a terrible or, offensive line. Or like you line. complete a, a hail mary to, to who was it, Mike Williams or Keenan Allen. And then you run the ball on the one yard line with like three seconds left and no timeouts. It's, it's just what are you doing, man? I, I think I don't even think it was three. I think it was like ten or twelve because you would have had time for another play had you had an incomplete pass or a timeout. But uh, what, what's pass is pass, and now the Lions get to deal with Anthony Lynn and his shenanigans 
Um, you just got to hope that he helps establish that culture along, alongside Dan Campbell. Yeah, so for the offense, the Lions are going to come in 31st on the offensive side of the ball, 74.87. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of potential, actually, um, with this offense to grow. Some se- There's several position groups. I think where... look, look for them to explode in the next few years. I got a good feeling about the Lions. Yeah, yeah, I have a really good feeling about this rebuild so far. And let's move on to this defense. Their defense ranks, they have a 73 score for their defense. Let's talk about this pass rush here, which is actually going to come in 30th in the league, uh, led by Trey Flowers, Romeo Cara. Um, Aquara. Aquara. Jesus, Sean. Uh, Trey Flowers, Romeo Aquara, and uh, Deshaun Hand really headlining that group. Um, you know, it's, it's Trey Flowers got vastly overpaid um, by – Let's just call him the former GM of the Lions. Um, Romeo Aquara is is fine. He was a what twenty sixteen was his debut, I believe. Um, so he's he's not too bad of a player, but it's nothing special that you're going to see um, amongst this lead of really phenomenal edge rushers. Um, and and then in the interior, you don't really have that much of an upside at pass rush. You have Michael Brockers, who was fine, I guess. Uh, he was really made by Aaron Donald. Um, you've got Levi on Ruzarike is going to be more of a nose tackle, um, one of Sean's guys. And so it's – it's it's you're going to have a capable pass rush, but it's not going to be anything special. Yeah, this is another one where they're probably really going to uh, outrank their rank of 30th, right? But, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that needs to be proven with this defensive line and this pass rush here. So let's move on to the run defense for this Lions team. And, man. Uh, That's where it gets good. The run defense for this Lions team, they are going to come in at 11th in the league. They Michael Brockers, a really solid run defender, right? 6'5", 320. Gosh, right. And then for even, like, off the edge, Trey Flowers is actually arguably a better run defender than a pass rusher. Than a pass rusher. Um so you, you really like what you have there, right? Um, Michael Brockwood's again. Jamie Collins will help Deshaun Hand. But then my guy, I think he might have been – I think it's my number two pass, my number two uh, defensive tackle, even though I probably like him a little more than Christian Barmore. Um, Le'Veon Zuriki. Uh, on, on, on I said that I said that way better Levi earlier. On you said it. I said it perfect earlier, and I just messed it up. I botched it now. Yeah, he's, that, getting, that, he's getting the camera sweats. Yeah. Um. But man, oh man, like you just pop on one play of his tape, the get off he plays with. I think it might have been USC, one of the games I watched. Um, and he just like burst off the line of scrimmage. For him to be 6'3", 290, to get that type of get-off is all is just unreal, right? And I think he'll have I think he'll have a great impact on this defense. And I mean, you know, kind of you know, rotating. I think it'll be a lot more on the uh run downs, like first and second down potentially. I don't think he'll see the field as much on third down scenarios, but he is a beast, and I think he's going to help this team a lot, especially in the future. And then obviously on Michael Brockers, Trey Flowers as well. Deshaun Hand isn't that bad either. So yeah, uh, they're going to have a nice rotation of run stopping pieces. Um, but ultimately, if you want to compete and win, you, you're going to have to have a better pass rush than run defense. And um, 
I mean, the Packers made it all the way to the NFC Championship game with an absolutely terrible run defense two years ago. So back to back years, really. But the run defense was a little bit better. It, last year. I mean, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't it was, 300 yards to, to Ronald Jones in the championship game or Lenny Fournette. But uh, <laughs> you get the point. Um, linebacker wise, they're not they're not too bad. Uh, Jamie Collins is a pretty solid linebacker, but he's nothing really special outside of that Patriots kind of scheme, which of course Matt Patricia was trying to replicate. It did not work, obviously. Uh, and now Patricia is gone. Is he back in New England? Um, I think so. I think so. He got Alex. <laughs> not as the DC though. I think he's like yeah. a special assistant. Uh, Alex Anzalone's not bad. Jelani Javice looks like he'll be slotted to start. And then um, Sean Dion Hamilton and Charles Harris aren't bad linebackers either. Um, so they're ranked 23rd for us in linebackers. And, and they also fourth on pick out of Purdue, Derek Barnes, um, looks to be pretty solid as well. So, um, you know, we'll see we'll see where they come through, but they don't have any eye-popping talent like an Eric Kendricks or um, even, a, even a Shaq Thompson, um, who's, who's a pretty solid linebacker. So that's that's why they are so low here. Um, Jelani Tavai is not – best yeah so it's more just like you know just solid a solid group as a whole right they don't have like anyone who'll probably come near they're not special in yeah. any way um but they're not you know the packers <laughs> which terrible just their inside linebacker play before they got chris Barnes was terrible yeah so let's move on to the secondary which has some potential like a lot of the other position groups so far but they just have some players who haven't really been able to show that potential yet. Uh, Jeff Jeffrey Okuda, who was their third overall pick last year out of Ohio State. I actually think that's more of just Matt Patricia being a bad coach or just throwing a rookie on also, an island to it's, die. It's hard to have, you know, a physical press corner, 6'1", 205, physical guy, Jeff Okuda. Um, not necessarily the fastest guy. Go up against freaking Devontae Adams twice Justin a year. Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Some guys, Adam Thielen, with uh, really, really Alan good Robinson. releases. With really, really good releases. Just and, throw him on an island in his first year. So, yeah. look for him to be better. Um, Amani Aquarie, or Ar- That time I messed up. Right. Um, but uh, Amani Ar- Aruarie, I believe, um, is look, look for him to play pretty well. Uh, Fifth-round pick from a few years ago. Two years ago, I believe. Quentin Dunbar is not a, a bad corner, um, but he certainly has not lived up to um, his hype that he had coming out of Florida. Um, and then Mike Ford, not too bad, looking probably to be a slot corner for him. They don't really their their nickel situation isn't the greatest. Um, we have Corn Elder, who's show who's been solid so far in the league, but they dragged I've two Metal Wu with their third-round compensatory pick, who I really liked a lot. I think you guys might have even saw me put him in my top 10 in the uh, in our cornerback list when I did that a little while ago. He's really long, lengthy. He plays the ball extremely, extremely well. He has the size to, you know, match up with C6'3", 212, right? He has the they size. They like their big corners. Right. He has the size to, you know, match up with some of those bigger guys. Um, you know – he doesn't play with that anticipation. He sometimes gives too much space and off coverages. But I think you develop him the right way. You pair him with Jeffrey Okuda. You're looking at a really solid young cornerback duo. And I really think Okuda is going to play a lot better this year. Right? Again, he shouldn't. He I, I'd be very surprised if they just throw him on an island again 
with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, and Allen Robinson. It could be any quarterback in the league. It could be me throwing Devontae Adams the ball. You do not put a rookie quarterback, cornerback, on Devontae Adams, a top two route runner in the league, and a top three wide receiver in the league. So, with that being said, what? Top one. Top two. Top one. It's, it's him and Keenan. It's, it's like a toss-up. But he's before Keenan, so therefore he's top one. No, like, no. It's it's like picking between your favorite kids. Like, we have two kids. Well, right? if you're biased, yes, I guess. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, yeah, I, I project their corner cornerback room to be pretty solid. Um, but moving on to uh, the, the safety side, Tracy Walker uh, looks like he'll start. And then not very much else after that. Yeah, I, I guess you're looking at maybe Will Harris. Will Harris, Dean Marlowe. Yeah, th- this cornerback, this secondary room in general – has some upside again, right? Jeffrey Okuda, Cornelder is at a bad nickel corner. Quentin Dunbar is decent. And then I, I, I have two Melfonwu, right? Tracy Walker is actually a pretty solid safety as well, right? But Will Harris being number two corner, I mean, sec- safety, you're kind of sleeping and a little worried about that one, right? Yeah, you've got really two more strong safety molds as your two. Sorry. And I'm not saying that you can't be successful with that. Uh, the strong and the free safety aren't really – important positional distinctions like say a, a nose tackle and a defensive end or an inside linebacker and an edge rusher but um there's there's still a difference and uh with those two guys will harris has had his moment certainly with denver but um he's not somebody who you want to rely on to really start and and make a, a huge difference uh in your defense and your secondary especially with these young corners yeah so overall this defense is going to get a 73 again um not dead last, right? Obviously, you had the Texans. There's a couple of the teams that rank uh, below them as well, but a pretty below average defense. Well, definitely below average definitely defense. Below average. So, overall, this team will score and finish with a 73.31 for their overall score. Let's take a look at their schedule right quick. So, the over-under for Vegas is five wins. They have San Fran, Green Bay. Oh, this is a – oh, this first half of the schedule is brutal. Uh, over under is five wins. Just looking at the schedule. Warner, are you going over or under here? Um, and, and what's your record prediction? That should not be three and thirteen. That should be three and fourteen. Uh, yeah, with the seventeen game season. Um, you know, this is brutal. <laughs> oh my god! Really? How can a team really so tough. bad last year have such a hard schedule? The NFC North, man. They got the NFC West and the NFC North. That's that's tough. AFC and North, the right? AFC. AFC North. Wait. They play the NFC North because it's the division. Then they've got the NFC West and the AFC North as their. And then they have De- they have Denver as their extra game. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, over under five wins. I gotta say under man. They got they got to start off the season. San Fran at Green, Green Bay. Buff- I mean Baltimore, Baltimore at Chicago, Chicago at Minnesota and Cincinnati, which Cincinnati is probably their w- first winnable game in the, of the season. At the Rams. So that's. <laughs> That's tough. And then they got Philly and then bye. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. They, I, I think they can squeeze out a win against Cincy and Philly maybe in the first half. And then at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland, we'll see how big The back half plays. is definitely easier than that first half. It's hard to get harder than the first half, though. Um, True. And then they're at Cleveland. True. They're at home against Chicago, at home against Minnesota. Um, 
at Denver, uh, Arizona at home, Atlanta at Atlanta at Seattle, Green Bay to end the year. Here's here's this might actually they play Chicago at week one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, week twelve. Do we see Justin Fields playing that game? Right. If that is that Dalton? Fields or Dalton, and I think that's where the toss is. Is Fields going to be panning out and playing like he did in his best moments at Ohio State, or is he going to be playing? Like his worst moments at Ohio State. So, yeah, um, that, yeah. It's a minimal um, game. Uh, we'll so see. the floor, I think the floor for this team is actually probably like worst case scenario, probably two wins actually. That's yeah. probably the worst case. Best case scenario, you're looking at a seven or six, seven win team two, because since that's a winnable game, yeah. Chicago's always a winnable game. Philly, especially once. Like, right, at least once. Right, so you're at like four. At home against Minnesota, that's a winnable game. Denver's quarterback is Drew Locke, so that's a winnable game. Arizona just always seems to to mess up. Yeah, you're against... always going to have a good team have one to two fluke games, right? Um, so just like really, really poor performances. I would even say Pittsburgh's Atlanta, a winnable. Pittsburgh, yep. Denver, I, I Arizona. They're not going to get this, but there's nine winnable games on this schedule. So I'd say the ceiling is probably eight wins, but the floor is two so i'm gonna go for their record you know what i just realized what pittsburgh on their streak of never being below 500 you cannot be 500 unless you tie again unless you tie yeah so uh prediction look for pittsburgh to have at least one tie this year right go um, eight, eight, one. right but, uh, so over under five i'm still gonna go under you know that like i said there's probably eight or nine winnable ones but I would just I'm not I wouldn't bet this you know, actually. You know, I would say I'm gonna say over because okay. I think by the end of the season, after that rough first half, Dan Campbell's brutal first half. Dan Campbell's gonna get the guys together. He's gonna his his coaching, his philosophy is gonna seep in and they're gonna start grinding out some wins against say a Pittsburgh or Chicago, uh, Minnesota. They both ho- they host those teams back in the second back. half. Then you have Denver. It's probably a six, uh, one, two, three, five game stretch where it's winnable games like all in a row. Chicago, Minnesota, at Denver, Arizona, Atlanta. That's five straight, very winnable games. So I could definitely, I wouldn't bet this one. Like, so over under, I wouldn't bet this for the Lions. Me, I would not bet this. This is kind of a weird team to figure out for the over under. Um, But I'm still going to go under. I would probably go four and – what's that, four and 13? Yeah, four and 13. That would be probably my win total. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say they get six or seven wins because I think Dan Campbell, once again, is going to come in late season. Um, he's going to get the guys together, and they are going to start winning some tough games. They're going to beat some teams they shouldn't beat. Um, maybe Green Bay week 17, maybe Seattle week 16. Week 18. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Game 17. Screw but, you, NFL. It's your fault. But, but um, I, I think I think we're looking for six to seven wins. All right, guys. That's the end of this episode. Uh, team MVP. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go offense. I'm gonna go offense, and I'm gonna, gonna say offense. That's, there's only one player you could go with. Oh, there's two. There's a couple. TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, that was. Okay. Yeah. If you're going offense, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, TJ Hawkinson. Unless I will say, unless Penesul really pans out and plays some rock star offensive tackle, yeah, then I'm going to say Penesul because that's going to fast track their offensive line and therefore their offense and their team, yeah, so so many more years. But um, Absolutely. I'm looking I'm looking for uh, either Sewell 
or or TJ Hawkinson? Yeah, it, it, there's only one answer. You could possibly say Swift, but Swift is going to depend on the offensive line. So, although the passing game, I mean, he might be close to a thousand receiving yards. True, with but their lack of receivers, like actual bona fide true. receivers, look for him to be close to a thousand, like maybe close to eighteen hundred all-purpose yards. True. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with T.J. Hawkinson. I don't think there's very many other options for this team. It's T.J. Hawkinson. But, anyway, guys, I'm not going to take seven hours to wrap this one up. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the Sports Headlines uh, show. This is number 31 team, the Detroit Lions. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out.